Hello, uh, my name is Greg. Uh, my wife Brittany and I are missionaries um, of Richfield Bible to Western Asia. Uh, we're hoping to be able to head out here in the next month or so, depending on how restrictions go and all with, with COVID-19. But um, I wanted to spend a few minutes today and uh, speak with you all and, and look into the word and, and look at, actually, I, I want to look at why it is that my wife and I feel biblically it is so important that we prioritize missions. And and specifically, I want to get at, at this question of why it is that we prioritize international missions, right? Because I think any of us who grew up in a, a good church or who have been saved for some time know that we're supposed to share the gospel with those around us. We we talk to people about Christ, and and that is, is so key to the Christian life anywhere. Um, but why international missions? Why would Richfield Bible, why would my home church, um, we're in Nashville, Tennessee, why, why would our church focus on bringing the gospel to foreign countries? I mean, at one level, is that even our business? Should we be going overseas and talking to other people about the gospel? I, I know we could almost think um, very easily um, that that's just what you do or, or that, you know, Christians have always done that. But why is it? Is there a biblical reason that we do that and we go abroad, we, we go internationally? If you think about it, we're going, my family is going to a very dark place and missionaries have historically gone to some of the darkest places on earth. I can kind of speak with a little bit of experience now of it's somewhat of a difficult process. I mean, you're, you're, you're picking up your whole life. You're uh, selling off all your stuff. You're saying goodbyes to family and friends. There's the rigors of trying to even raise support, which often can take a while. And what, why do we do all that? All, especially when technically we can fulfill the Great Commission just by going next door and reaching out to our neighbors. That is the Great Commission. Um, I, I strongly believe that. So why, once again, do we go to the darkest places on earth to preach Christ? And the answer I, I want to show us from Scripture today is because Jesus is the light to the nations. Jesus is the light to the nations. That's what I want us to focus on. God has ordained it that his son be a me the message of Christ and his work on the cross be a message that goes to all peoples of all nations everywhere. And that didn't just start in the past few years, obviously. That didn't just start even with Christ's ministry. Actually, God has always had a heart for this. Your church has just been finishing up a series on Jonah. I think that's perfect because you get a glimpse of it there. While that may not necessarily be the, the primary focus of the book of Jonah, you clearly get to see God's heart for the nations. And so um, I want us to, to go right back actually to the beginning and, and look at why is it that God wants missions, the, the message of his son going to all nations. Okay, so if you go back to the beginning, back in Genesis, right? We're, we're going right back to the start of the story. 
And you remember God created us to be image bearers of his. We were actually reflectors of God and his light to the world. Um, and we did that perfectly. Adam and Eve did that exactly how they should have done. But then sin brought in darkness. Sin corrupted the ability of humans to accurately reflect who God is. And so we already saw darkness beginning to, um, to obscure the face of God as people looked at us, as we talked about God and showed what he is like. And so God did something very special. After uh, some number of years, we don't exactly know how long, he called out a man named Abram, right? And you all know this story. And God chose Abram, not because there was anything special about him, not because he had done anything uh, super great, but because that's who God wanted. That was God's choice. And so he called Abram, and he was going to do something very special with this man and his family. And if you remember, going back to Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3, and it, God says to Abram in his promise, in, in this covenant that he's making with him, he says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I think it's significant that right from day one, right when God first started forming this, this covenant with Abram, which was actually an outflow of, of a promise he had made to Adam and Eve, and to the serpent when man had first sinned. But he, he begins to unpack that as he makes this covenant with, with Abram. And, and he says, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to prosper your family. And the goal of that promise right from day one was that all nations on earth would find blessing through this family. What God was doing ever since the time of Abram and first starting to establish this relationship with Israel was always about the nations. And you see it right there in Genesis 12. Now, I think we can sometimes get a little off track in, in thinking about how God was working through Israel. You see, Israel was to be this light to the nations. Israel was to picture what God was like. That's why they were his special people. They, they were a royal priesthood. Other nations would come to Israel and, and see the attractiveness of, of the Old Testament law and how they abide by it and how they found favor with God. And they, they should have wanted that and, and been drawn to that. But Israel didn't always do their job perfectly. And even then, as God loved and blessed Israel, um, they didn't always picture God the way that they were supposed to. The, the light that they were supposed to shine out um, didn't always happen. And yet, they were God's special people, and he chose them because of how they would be a blessing to all the nations. You see, God's covenant with Abram and Israel was still with the scope, with the, the trajectory of being international. And so, as we continue to look at that and what God did with Israel and he preserved them and, and he prospered them even though often they rebelled and, and they didn't display God's glory to the nations. And so we come finally to Isaiah 49. 
And, and that's actually going to be a key passage here. So feel free to look it up or put up on your phone or just listen as I read it here. But in Isaiah 49, um, we're looking here at, uh, at verses 5 and 6 primarily. But if, if you kind of glance over verses 1 through 4, what you find is that um, this is God speaking to his servant, um, and his servant Israel, and he, he calls him Israel. And yet we begin to realize as we even read through this chapter, there's more going on than just God speaking to the nation of Israel. And actually he speaks to him as if it's his Messiah. And that's that's the case actually, that God is is calling his Messiah Israel here in this passage. And, and so we look at verses five and six. And now the Lord says, he who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. And verse 6, he says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. You see, God was choosing to make his son a light to the nations. Jesus, the Messiah, was going to actually accomplish what Israel had often failed to accomplish. And ultimately, even Israel being a light to the nations still pointed forward to that greater light the Son of God was going to reveal, was going to share light, was going to bring um, the message of God, the good news to the world because Jesus was the good news. And, and in, in case anybody thought that this was always about Israel in the Old Testament, he says, it's too light a thing, it's too small of a thing for you just to be my Messiah to bring back Jacob and Israel. No, in fact, Messiah, God speaking, Messiah, you are going to be a light to the nations. And so ever since the beginning, that was always God's heartbeat. If we go on and, and we look at uh, John chapter 1, so we're now coming out of the Old Testament. We come to John chapter 1, and, we're, and Israel's been waiting for this light to be revealed finally and fully through the sun. And so it's no wonder what John then says about the Son. He says there in verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And skipping down to verse 14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Think glory, splendor, light. We have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, God had intended that his Messiah would be this light. And he had promised it back in the time of Abraham. 
the this this international covenant that he was making this this blessing that would bring uh, salvation to people from all nations he then reveals it through Christ coming um, Jesus came he was born in a manger and he grew up lived a sinless life for us so that he could be our light he lived this perfect life he died on a cross crucified by man crucified because of our sin and then he was resurrected three days later and now he ever lives he god rose him from the dead so that he is now the worthy king and this message god says that it's too small a thing to just encapsulate just for israel it was always intended for the whole world and we get a glimpse of that coming into the new testament in a really neat way and you see this message of the light of christ this is why John then says a few chapters later in John 8, 12, Jesus is speaking, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This invitation is for you. Jesus is your light. He calls us out of darkness into his kingdom that he is forming for us. And so... This truth from through the Old Testament on through the New of Jesus being the light, that is such a key concept. But now we have to ask, because I started this whole thing with talking about missions and why the nations. So let's let's connect that that those dots now. Jesus being the light, what does that have to do with the nations? Well, what I want to show is that because Jesus is the light, I want to show that we now have that light in us. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And in 2 Corinthians, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And in 2 Corinthians 4, I'm going to start reading in, in verse 3. And even if our gospel is veiled, so here's Paul talking about his evangelism methods and, and trying to reach people with the gospel. And he says, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. You see, God took this international light this light that was was too big to just go to the people of judah and israel he took it and jesus now lives in us god who called out in genesis uh, one uh in genesis one there when god calls out light out of darkness he did that same thing by creating light in our hearts through his son jesus 
it's actually somewhat humbling because the fact is we are not ourselves very good lights. Like Israel, we fail all the time. And yet, we contain a light living in us and shining out of us that is able to see people saved. Not because we are anything special, but because Jesus, the Son of God, is special. He is the revelation to the world. He reveals God to the world. And so, as we consider this, there's, there's really three main applications I, I want to draw from this concept of Christ being the light and that light being in us, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians. First of all, we must respond to Jesus through salvation. This seems fundamental, and my prayer is that many of you here uh, listening to me, um, that you are already saved, that you understand that Christ is your light. But looking again back at the Gospel of John, he says in, in chapter 12, verse 46, Jesus again, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. And again in verse 36 of that chapter, he says, while you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. My prayer, even as I prayed a few minutes ago before I started um, this sermon, was that God might even lead some who might listen to this sermon to the light because of Jesus. You see, even if you've grown up in church, maybe you were even baptized as a child or, or something, um, but the fact is, unless you have extended faith in Christ, unless you've believed that Jesus' death and resurrection was for you, and unless you've realized that you're a sinner and asked God for his forgiveness and submitted to Christ as your king, the fact is you're still in darkness. God wants and desires that all men come to salvation and even Jesus implored his audience, which is intended for us today just as much, have the light while it is accessible. Jesus desires that relationship with you. And so if you are not saved, before anything else, the first application of Jesus being the light is that you must accept it. You must believe in Christ and what he did, trusting that God will take his work instead of our work, which is nothing. Second of all, I want us to look at the fact that if you're saved, if you already have the light of Christ in you, then we must be a light to our neighbors. Um, going back to, to 2 Corinthians 4, 6, God has made this light shine out of our hearts. Do you understand that the way you interact with others will directly demonstrate or prove that you have light in you. If, if you are um, winsome with people, if you are compassionate, if you show the character of God in your life, people see that light. And without just stopping at, at our speech, uh, or without stopping at just our actions, do you speak about that light that is in you and, and I hope even controlling you? Is that the message that you have to share? You see, in Matthew chapter 5, in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he says in verses 14 to 16, 
You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hid, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all that are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The way that you demonstrate the light of Christ to your neighbors and to the people you interact with at the town swimming pool, to the people you bump into at the grocery store, to, um, the, to the couple who shares a, a fence line with you at home, whoever the case may be around you, do they see Christ in you and do you speak about the light that God has given you? Finally, and, and this is really where we're going to kind of bring the, this whole discussion in, um, is the fact that we must be a light to the nations. You see, God wants his light, who is Jesus, in us to be a light to all the nations. Now, at one level, we could, we could almost say, well, that was in Isaiah 49, you know, Jesus being a light to the nations. That was specifically speaking about Jesus. That's not my job. That's Christ's job. And you're right. But we find an interesting passage in Acts chapter 13. And this is actually my wife and, and my kind of theme verse and that we've, we've referenced often in our ministry. But look at Acts chapter 13. And specifically starting in verse 46, it says, and uh, so Paul and Barnabas are here um, and they are ministering to a group of people and, and Jews are stirring up the pod and they're trying to actually persuade people to not be convinced of their message and, and causing trouble. And so Paul and Barnabas um, kind of fed up with it. They say, fine, we're, we're going to the Gentiles. So you read in verse 46, and Paul and Barnabas spoke out, uh, boldly saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. And there the word Gentiles is the same word as nations, the, the, the people around the world. We are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Now, obviously, as you remember, we read this in Isaiah 49. What's interesting is what Paul says just before he quotes Isaiah 49. He says, For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles. You see, Paul understood so clearly that the light of Christ is in us that that is how the world around us sees the light of Christ, that he took the command to the Messiah of Isaiah 49, and he applied it to himself saying, this is a command from God. We, who are believers, have the command from God to be a light to the nations. If we only ever reach our neighbors, we are not actually fulfilling the command of God. There are many nations out there who have never heard and who will never hear the gospel without somebody from one nation picking up their life and moving to another nation to tell them about Christ. Unless that happens, we are not fulfilling our command. That's the very reason Paul left the Jews to go preach the gospel 
in Italy and and he even wanted to go on to Spain and keep going to preach the gospel where it had not yet gone. And it's because he understood the command of God on his life. And so really, there's actually two ways that, that many of us can apply this. There's two options if you want to be involved in international missions. You can go or you can send. And you have to do one of them to fulfill the command of God, to, to see the nations accept Christ. Going, God has actually called some of you possibly to go, to pick up your lives and, and what you're doing and to move to another location so that people who would not otherwise hear the gospel can now hear the gospel. And sometimes we, we dismiss this so quickly thinking, oh, well, clearly that's not me. But maybe it is. Have you actually prayed about it? Have you talked about it with your spouse or your kids of what if God were calling you into to missions yourself? Second of all, God has not called everybody to go. Sometimes God has called you to stay. If everybody was a goer, then there would be nobody to send them, to help them get to where God has for them. But if everybody is a sender, then obviously we need people to go. And so it's really both things. I know personally, Brittany and I could not do nearly what we want to do without the support of people like you who are sending us. We do what we do because you are functioning in your role. But either way, we must be involved in the sending and the going of missions. God's heart is that the light of Christ, his son, God, who was made man, would be known to all nations, all people, from every tribe, tongue, and language, and nation. That's what we see in Revelation. That is the reality that we have to look forward to. But it's only going to happen as we obediently obey God's message. Paul saw that this command that was given to Jesus as Messiah was on his life, and so we must go and we must send. I hope that looking over these passages from the Old Testament and the New Testament of Christ as the light, I hope that brings you encouragement and hope and joy this morning. I hope that it actually gives you the confidence to go and boldly proclaim Christ, whether that is to your neighbors or to the nations around us. And it's with that hope and with that confidence that um, we pray for you as as our uh, supporting church. We love you and and thank you very much for uh, for listening to this sermon.